Why Watch That is a podcast featuring the critic and referee who go head-to-head on a quest to discover the best movies and TV shows Hollywood has to offer. Expect the unexpected from the critic. Well, nothing gets past the ref. We do all the work. So you don't have to. Welcome Welcome to to Why Watch Watch That. We're on Twitter. What? We're on Facebook. What's a Facebook? We're on Instagram. <laughs> and we are on the WWW. But guess what else we're on? What? We're on YouTube! Oh! <laughs> YouTube! That's right. We have our own channel. Oh. Yes, there you can find our episodes, some trailers, and a whole lot more we're cooking up. And we have a very, very special opportunity for you. That's right. If you subscribe at YouTube, our channel there, this month of July, you will be entered to win a custom watching plan from Why Watch That. If you win, yeah, we'll tell you, hey, here's some things for you, just you, to check out. We will curate that thing for you. Ew, why watch that? We're kind of nice over here, aren't we? We sure are. So if you're interested in that, and heck, you should be on the YouTube anyway. The YouTube. See, I was saying like, oh, man. <laughs> Not just a YouTube. <laughs> be on the YouTube anyway at our channel, Why Watch That. Subscribe in July, and maybe you'll know what to watch from here forth. So why watch that TV talk? Hello, everyone. We have a twofer. (laughs) (laughs) I always like saying that. Um, We have a twofer this week. What does that mean? Basically, we usually split up our TV talks and our movie talks. But listeners, because it's summer, you're shopping all that last minute school shopping and run around everywhere we thought we'd cut you some slack and uh do our movie and two tv talk together ew yes yes so here's the deal we're gonna start with some series premieres we're gonna go to a season premiere we're gonna go to season finale and then we're gonna do a sneak peek so let's get started with the TV first. Smoke is bold. Smoke is, as they say in Jeopardy, potpourri. Yes. Favorite <laughs> category. <laughs> let's start with, of this potpourri, let's start with the series premieres. Ooh. Mm. Remember, these are premieres. These are shows that we have not talked about before because they just started. And let's start with Bulletproof. That's on the CW. CW. And it's in its first season. I don't get around to the CW as much, to be honest with you, Critic. Mm-hmm. You are very diligent about checking out what's new there. So tell us about this bullet proof. <laughs> and it's so interesting you say that because I've been wondering to myself, have I outgrown this network? That's a legit question, actually. Yeah. I, I'm still checking them out. But we'll see. Maybe one day you'll just notice that the CW has disappeared from why watch that. 
But Bulletproof is a little different ref. It, um, it's a British show, actually. So it was first a broadcast on Sky in Great Britain, and now we have it here for six episodes of the first season. So they've already seen it. Yeah, that's very interesting that that uh, the Brits are on the CW. <laughs> yes, and especially this kind. We have had some international productions uh, show up on the CW during the summer. Uh, this is a little different because it's uh, it's a police procedural. It's a detective show. Oh. Yeah. So what's happening is there are two friends, uh, Aaron and Ronnie, played by Noel Clark and Ashley Walters, uh, and they are now undercover cops. They're undercover detectives. Mm. And like you would expect, uh, a lot of siblings, that's how they relate, is a lot of arguments. Mm-hmm. Okay, a lot of ribbing and things like that. So in the first episode, we see that they have uh, a CI, a criminal informant, and she's in danger. Okay, mortal danger. They need to help her out. Okay. And you can see what comes of that. So you do have kind of a, um, a procedural aspect to it, but you also understand not only their relationship, but also their families. So we have uh, Aaron, who, um, look, for Aaron, he didn't have the same kind of upbringing as, as Ronnie. So for Aaron, you know, he grew up on the streets. He was in foster homes, all of that. Ronnie has a father who uh, is now the director general of the National Crime Agency. Boy. In the first episode, he gets a medal. I mean, it's so they come from different worlds that way. But again, they are friends. Uh, and for Ronnie's father, it's played by somebody we all know, okay? And I won't give that away. You'll see it if you watch the show. So you have that dynamic. And Ronnie has a wife. He has a kid. Uh, Aaron it has a wife, too. But the question is, what's going on with her? Because Aaron suspects that she might be cheating on him with one of his colleagues. Oh, dear. Is that true? And either way, what are the implications? Because if there's a misunderstanding, that can lead to trouble as well. Mm. So we see that start to boil, simmer in this first episode, along with the procedural stuff, which I'm not really going to get into. So the whole point of this show is to make this kind of detective show skew a little younger I don't know if it skews all the way to CW, though, which is very interesting, Ref. For me, watching the first episode, I thought it was fine. Like, it was professional. They had all of their beats in the right place, but it was very familiar, regardless of what's going on between Aaron and Ronnie, their friends, and all of that kind of bickering. Uh, It's not a comedy, so it's not like if you're thinking... What's that Will Smith and Martin Lawrence movie? Bad Boys? Yeah, it's not that kind of thing. Okay. It's almost if you take that and make it a drama. Really? On the CW? I wonder if this is something new that they're going to be exploring. Mm -hmm. Yeah, maybe. And I'll I'll say this. I will watch the next episode. Mm. Not typical so far for me when it comes to new CW shows. Again, it's not something great or even something where you go, it's very good. But it's it's professional. And I don't mind seeing British crime drums. Oh, nice. And there's only a handful of episodes. So it's not a huge commitment if you listeners want to join the critic. Yeah. Um, moving on to, let's stay with the CW. <laughs> Two sentence horror stories. Okay. <laughs> it's an anthology 
Um, this was a two episode premiere that you got to see. I think there are about eight in total uh, episodes, not um, two hours. <laughs> that would be a lot happening. Now, this sounds more like CW to me. I'm not sure if it truly is. Yeah, yeah, it's closer to what you would expect. And uh, this show started on CW Seed, which is their online platform where they start new shows. Ah. So this has come to us now on regular CW. And the whole thing about the title is every uh, episode starts with a sentence and ends with the second sentence. Ah. So you'll see as you go through the episode how we go from sentence one to sentence two. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the fun of it if you try to go, okay, I wonder what the second sentence is going to be as you're watching the episode. And each episode is a half an hour. So this isn't long, you know, and I think that's a good thing. Now, as you said, the first two were released together. Uh, the next time they air, they will release the next two, and then it will be one per week. So in our first two episodes, I mean, it's a horror kind of thing. I don't want to give it away, obviously. But I will say it this way. In each episode, there is a female in danger at the hands of a man. Oh. So what do they do in regard to that? They flip it, okay? Because maybe the man's really in danger at the end of it. Uh Now, that I liked, but it was predictable. Because I was going, ref, I know the world I'm living in. I know the environment. I know they're not going to do this normal horror thing with women. I know it. Yeah. I know they're going to flip it. I know it. And they did it twice. And that's when I went, uh, I hope they have more ideas than this. Now, in the first episode, there is uh, a woman. She's had a baby. And she starts dating again because uh, her husband, ex-husband, is no longer in the picture. Mm. So she dates this man who seems to have no interest in her until she mentions that she has a child. What's up with that? And that's all I'll give you for that one. Oh. In the second episode... That's not much credit. No, there's not. But just imagine, why would he all of a sudden perk up a, a bachelor? Perk up when a woman says that she has a child. Huh. Even she goes, normally that's a deal breaker. (laughs) Okay, so where does that go? Why does he have an interest? And what's going on with her? Now, for the second episode, um, there's a woman, a young woman at work, um, and she's at this party, and they're drinking. It's a work party. They're drinking. She wakes up to a disturbing message that has been written on her stomach. Oi. Who wrote the message? Was it somebody at the party? Was it someone else? Is it all in her head? You'll find that out if you watch it. So those are the kinds of things. Again, these are little nuggets of horror stories. Are they scary? No. <laughs> are, are they psychological? They, uh, yeah. Oh. Absolutely, they are psychological. Because uh, always the question is, are these people in the right mental state? You know, that kind of thing. Um, does it work really well that way? I would say it's fine. I didn't dislike this. Did it grab me though? It did not. Is this Rosemary's baby? No, it's not. (laughs) Okay. And again, the question is going to be, are they going to have enough ideas from 
uh, episodes episode. Now, as you said, there are only eight of these, so it's not going to be a lot. And I think at this time, they need to fill in the slot. This was a smart choice for CW to pull in because it's fine, which is not always a bad thing. So if you like horror stories that are really short, that get to the point, and you want to try to figure out what the two sentences are, I would say check it out. You're not. It's not going to be that you go, oh, that was bad. But I wish they had a little more ideas to it and a little more fire. Mm. Well, you're going to have to find out those next couple episodes if they bring that kind of fire or not. Mm. Woo Assassins on Netflix. Mm -hmm. (laughs) This is on Netflix. Of course, Netflix from here till goodness knows when they'll be putting out 70. Yes, you count them 70 TV shows per day. (laughs) Okay, don't quote me on that. That is not true, but it does feel like they're going full steam ahead. Knowing that, okay, that's so not true. Please do not quote us on that. <laughs> not true. But it feels like it's a lot happening. Woo Assassins. This is a, a new show. Now, already the title has me going, ooh, this sounds exciting. This sounds, this is like a, a, a vein Netflix likes to go down, especially those sneaky little um, action um shows that you kind of go whoa this is on netflix right now Mm. and yes this is theirs about 10 episodes you got a chance to check out the first well i don't know did you go forth in it i don't know if you went all the way but we'll find out um if woo assassins is something that you could recommend or maybe recommend to the very specific few (laughs) (laughs) now i did make it into episode four Gotcha. Out of 10. So that's where I am. Uh, and here's what's going on. The Wu Assassins. It's literal. These are special people in the world who have a certain kind of makeup that allows them to be able to kill, assassinate the Wu. Now, the Wu are these five bad people that want to take over the world and they have powers. So this is supernatural, is martial ah, arts. Gotcha. Yeah, and they their powers come from different elements. So one is fire, one is metal, you know, that kind of stuff. Is this all, is this in English, just first of all? Is it is in English. Title? It okay. is in English. You do have some Cantonese, um, I believe, because I, you know, it didn't sound quite like Mandarin all the time to me. So I think, and they mentioned Cantonese. So, you know, because it's Hong Kong, based essentially but we are in san francisco Mm -hmm. so you're dealing with san francisco's chinatown uh and you will get subtitles when you need them obviously but they do have a lot of english um and they do have non-asian characters oh okay gotcha Mm -hmm. so uh what we have at the center of this is the final woo assassin oh oh. he has just been chosen his name is kaijin Now, Kai is a Chinese-Indonesian chef. (laughs) Okay. So, what? (laughs) Yeah, okay, all right. And at the opening of this show, we see him kicking butt. And making a great omelet. (laughs) Then he goes to make some food. That's exactly right. (laughs) Oh, those are both 
perfect world for you. I think you're getting, I'm excited to hear what you have to say. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, it's, it's funny, it's, it's interesting. And um, during this fight, he's saving one of his neighbors, his neighbor across the hall. He lives in an apartment in San Francisco. So, okay, why? How did we get there? We flash back. And he goes to um, one of his childhood friends. She owns uh, uh, her family restaurant and she has an older brother who's actually a drug addict. So that's a whole thing going on. And her name is Jenny. And uh, maybe there's something going on between Kai and Jenny, you know, this kind of flirtatious thing. She wants him to come be her chef. Will he do that? He has a food truck, of course. How's that going? He also has another friend um, who, whose name, excuse me, is Lu, Lu Xin Li. Uh, and he wants to help Kai as well. He wants to actually give Kai some money. But he owns what's called Lee's Wheels. It's this garage where, you know, he gets all of these different kinds of cars for unsavory people. Okay. And the main unsavories are in a group called the Triad. Oh, I feel like I've heard of that game before. <laughs> the Triad. So the Triad is led by Uncle Six. And Uncle Six is actually Kai's adopted father. What? He also helped Jenny out when they were kids, when uh, Jenny and Kai were kids. So what's going on? Because Kai is a good guy, and we know he's going to be the Wu assassin. Now, how does Uncle Six fit into this? Because we see from the very beginning that he will kill you. (laughs) Okay. Okay, okay. Don't mess with Uncle. Is he more than just the head of the triad? Mm. (laughs) Now, since there's all of these crimes going on, the cops are involved as well. And an undercover cop has just come to San Francisco to infiltrate the triad and bring it to an end. And uh, this cop's name is Christine Gavin, or CG. And by the way, Ref, it's played by Catherine Winnick, whom you'll know from Vikings. Mm -hmm. So she comes in, it's like, okay, well, where did she come from? And and so, I mean, you oh, know, She's going to infiltrate the triad. Uh, yeah, uh, she's a white woman. Okay. okay, all right. And and her chief is a black man. I love that. It's just, <laughs> so, you know, the casting is kind of all, all, all over the place, but all of the, the rest of the characters I mentioned are Asian, okay. Asian in background. All right. So what happens is Kai just, it gets thrust upon him being a Wu assassin. And he has to learn how to train, of course, but he's trained in a different dimension. And he's trained by the previous Wu assassin, who is no joke. Her name is Ying Ying. So Ying Ying is like, look, you are going to have to go through these trials in order to become the full Wu assassin. Because to be a Wu assassin, everybody, you imbue, you're imbued with 1,000 assassin's powers. (laughs) You can't make this up. So... Kai will turn into the particular assassin needed for the particular job that needs to be done. And literally, he will look like that assassin. So in in essence, when there's a fight with Uncle Six, for instance, with the Wu assassin, Uncle Six doesn't know he's fighting Kai because it doesn't look like Kai, doesn't sound like Kai. 
but we know it's Kai. So in when they show it, they show sometimes we see Kai, sometimes we see the real assassin. And the main assassin that we see <laughs> in the opening is played by Mark uh, DeCascos, who if you don't know who that is, he was uh, he was he was the host of um, Iron Chef for many years. <laughs> so I mean that was funny to see him, and, but he's a martial artist. Okay, he's no joke. So here's here's what this comes down to: Is this ridiculous enough to be fun? It sounds like it, right? And barring that, are the fights good enough for you to ignore? Yeah how bad it is anyway. Look, they're, they're not trying to be good. So I, I don't care about that. But I think it needs to go further in ridiculous territory, actually. I think they need a little more fighting going on. Um, oh, there's not a lot of fighting? Oh, it's God. It's not enough. All right, maybe you get later the fights. On. Yeah. Yeah, you do get it. Plus, we, we now in the West have a lot of martial arts uh, things to look at. You know, I just watch It Man. And so I'm comparing it to that and going, is it, is it as ridiculous as it man? No, and it needs to be. Because otherwise you need to go to like Crouching Tiger with that kind of beauty. And that's oh, yeah. not this show. Oh. Also, we had Daredevil. It, well, I, you know what? I was thinking Daredevil the entire time. Yeah. And, and they do have a little bit of Daredevil where you, he's fighting in close quarters. Yeah. But it's just not as inventive. Now, the fighting is good. It's just comparatively, I think we need a little more from this because it's just not ridiculous enough for me to laugh at it all the time. So most of the time, I was kind of like, okay, let's move on. But sometimes you do laugh. I mean, you do because it's it's stupid. So there we go with Wu Assassins. You will know whether this is your kind of show or not. I think I'm good with three and a half episodes. I'll just say that. Okay, but listeners, if you are into that, it might be worth a check out. What we do want to check out, though, is season three. Mm. You know, on Netflix, that's a that's a wobbly season. Mm. <laughs> Glow, which is back, like I said, on Netflix. And I was just talking to the critic listeners, and I was like, oh, you know what? I haven't started Glow. Should I? Do you think I'll like it? And he had really great things to say about it. Maybe this is something that you can pick up. We would obviously suggest you start with season one, but it's all right there on Netflix. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, it'll just be, now it's just 30 episodes, 10 per season. And and each episode is a half an hour. Ooh, see, now you're selling me even more. Yeah, average half an hour. And that, it feels so good, Ref, to watch a good half hour show. Yeah, and this is a comedy? Or yeah, drama? Com- dramedy. Okay, yeah. I'll get into that. Um, so just keep that in mind. So it's really like five hours per season, my people. <laughs> That's, you know, it sounds like more like my speed. <laughs> yeah. So GLOW stands for Gorgeous Ladies of Wrestling. Yes, this was a real thing. It was a real GLOW back in the 80s. Uh, so here we are, and we are in 1986 now in season three. And what's happened is uh, they started as a public access show. (laughs) And then they they got the can from that. But that led to an opportunity for them to have a residency in Vegas. So in season three, we're now in Las Vegas, not in in California. 
and they are at a casino, of course, where they have their residency. And this casino is managed by a character played by Gina Davis. Okay. G uh, what? Yes, Gina Davis. The Gina Davis. The Gina. Okay. Davis playing Sandy Devereaux St. Clair. Hmm. Okay, she was a former, you know, showgirl. So that you know, makes that. sense. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Makes perfect sense. So she's there. They have a three-month residency. Do you think that's going to be pushed forward? Now, throughout this third season, it is a season of changes. Everyone is moving to a different position. So at the start of season three to the end, things have changed. Mm. Starting, I'll just go in cast order with As Allison Bree's character, Ruth Wilder, whose uh, character, her glow character is Zoya the Destroyer. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so she's the main baddie. You know, she's from Russia. She talks in that, you know, accent, the, you know, the ridiculous kind of, yes. you know, and she's always putting down America. You Americans, you know, that kind of thing. So at the opening of this, uh, the Challenger, remember the, the, from NASA, the Challenger, you know what happened with that? Yeah. Well, they're on uh, a local show promoting their show, oh. The Glow Show, mm -hmm. and she's, doing Hazoya thing. Mm. Oh, gosh. As it's happening now. Okay, so that's awkward. And then, so she feels bad for doing that. But then over the course of the season, we see she is an actress. That's what she's always wanted to be. Is glow enough for her? And, and is she ever going to achieve success? And the question is, if she doesn't, what will she do moving forward? Also, she has a boyfriend who has stayed in California. He's a cameraman. But there's something going on with her and the director of Glow. Uh-oh. Who's played by Mark Marin. What is that? I won't give it away, but it progresses. People say things, and uh, some people shy away. Some people are confused by it. So that whole thing we see grow over the course of the season. Now, for Mark Marin's character, Sam, the director, he... He's not the director uh, that's achieved a lot of success. He's not a guy who thinks he's the greatest director ever, but he wishes he was. And he has started writing again. He's written another screenplay, but is it good? Oi. Now, we see at the beginning of this show, not this season of the show, that he has a daughter he didn't know he had who's a teenager. And in this season, she's written a screenplay as well. <laughs> Uh-oh. Now the question is, whose screenplay is better? I can imagine. And how is Sam gonna react? I won't give that away, but it goes somewhere. Whoa, okay. Now, Ruth's friend, or friend of me, it depends on the season, is Debbie Egan, whose uh, char glow character is Liberty Bell. You know, she's the, you know, all-American, down-south kind of gal. Oh, gosh. Uh, played by Betty Gilpin. And she has divorced her husband because keep in mind, her husband was cheating on her with Ruth. Oh my, oh dear. And she has a, a toddler, not even a toddler, she still has a baby. I think he's uh, 10 months at the moment. So she's away from the baby, you know, in Las Vegas, you know, so she's going, oh, I'm feeling guilty. I've got to be with my baby. But what happens if the show extends? Because uh, Debbie is a producer, not just a star. Because Debbie is the only one who has legit credits as an actress. She was a soap opera star. 
So the thing for her is she wants to get out of acting and more into producing, but she's a female producer in 1986. So what does that look like? And where does that take her? Also, she's a bit lonely. So she, you know, develops certain friendships with uh, some of the help. Let's say it that way. Okay, Ooh. now, moving forward, there is uh, Cherry Bang. Who's Cherry uh, Bang. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Now she's a stunt woman. So that's her name as a stunt woman. Uh, but her glow character's name is Black Magic. Oh. It used to be Junk Chain, but somebody else took over that character. <laughs> <laughs> and this is played by Seidel Noel. Now, uh, for Cherry, she is married and her husband is also a stuntman. But for the Glow uh, show, he plays the, the, uh, the, the referee. Okay. But is that his dream? He wants to start a family. Does Cherry. And can you start a family when you're working as a Glow person? Come on, I don't think so. Mm. So we see what happens with that. Then there is the the one of the ladies who knows the most about wrestling because her whole family is full of professional wrestlers. And her name is Carmen Wade. And her glow character's name is Machu Picchu. Now, this is played by Brittany Young. And look, she has ideas galore. And she's gotten so good at it that her brother, who's on a tour as a wrestler, wants to take her on tour with him. A female wrestler. Yeah. He's like, look, you're better than some of these guys I work with. Wow. Will she go or will she stay with Glow? Hmm. We also have others. We have, okay, let me go to probably one main concept for this season. And one of them is a lot of the characters are realizing their sexuality. And it's 1986. So there is, there are two of the Glow characters who are in love, but one of them's not quite clear whether she's a lesbian or not. So this is between Yolanda Rivas, played by Shakira Barrera. Her character's name in Glow is Junk Chain. And we also have uh, the character's name. Okay, some of these characters' names are a mess. Is Beirut the Mad Bomber. Oh, dear. And the the non-glow character's name is Arthi Prem, Prem Kumar, played by Sunita Mani. So Arthi is the one who's unclear about whether she's a lesbian or not. And Yolanda's like, okay, well, look, you figure that out and I'm going to be over here. And we see what happens according to that uh, throughout the season. Also, we have the main producer of the show, um, who is Bash is his name and is played by Chris Lowell. He has an awakening because he marries one of the glow women, marries her. This was out of the blue in season two. Okay. But is he clear on exactly who he is? And his mother is played by Elizabeth Perkins. I just got to say. Oh my. Yeah. So she comes in, in a great episode uh, that was directed by Alison Brie, actually, in the season. And she is looking at this woman that married her son. Because these are rich people, millionaires. So she's like, are you a gold digger? What are you doing here? Mm-hmm. And the way they handled that was beautifully written, beautifully played out. Really enjoyed that. Also, uh, just to pull in a few more things. One of the weirdest characters, the She-Wolf, Sheila, played by Gail Rankin, really comes into her own. Because she actually walks around in real life with a wolf wig and fur. What's that about? Okay. 
well. She sheds that in more ways than one and starts to understand who she is as an actress. That was great to see. And we also see from last season, the welfare queen character, uh-oh, Tammy Dawson, that was handled. How could you be a welfare queen as a black woman? Oh, I was gonna say, please don't let her be black. The way the show does it is very smart. They don't shy away from it, but they do allow the characters to have moments where they go, what in the world am I doing? <laughs> what am I doing perpetuating these stereotypes? Because remember, we we have Beirut the Man Bomber. We also have Fortune Cookie, a character, who's the Asian character, and she has a moment, played by Ellen Wong this season, where she's like, I'm done with all of this. <laughs> I'm literally in a fortune cookie. <laughs> And I don't need you making fun of me, you know, because what I'll say is they have two major fights this season. And one of them is when they do something interesting with the characterization. I won't give that away. It was yeah. great. And at the end, they do a Christmas version. I That was so good. They do a Christmas carol as glow characters. It was so smart. But anyway, so back to the welfare queen, Tammy. <laughs> She had a spiritual and emotional awakening in season two because her son looked at her and said, you're better than this. Okay. And in season three, she has a physical thing. I'll just say that. She is the oldest person here. So is she going to be able to last? And then at the end of the season, we see that there are big ideas that are going to come if we get season four, especially set off by Debbie, Liberty Bell. Because as a producer, she is ruthless and she's ready to take this to the top along with Bash. She's gonna drag him along. And she's met a man, a new man in her life, whom she calls Tex, who's played by Toby Huss, a great actor. And he is a guy who has all of these connections when it comes to TV. So is her relationship with Tex more important than her ambition? You'll find out. And more and more and more happens. So that's a whole bunch. Wow, that Obviously. was a very thorough, yes. Obviously, I saw all 10 episodes, obviously. Apparently, yeah, this is great. I will say the only knock I give it, Ref, is early on where it needed a little more humor, just a little more. This season, I would call a drama. I would call it a drama. Uh, so we've seen how that morphs. Now, does it work as a drama? It actually does because you get the wrestling. I just think they need a little more humor early on. But when you get to the end of the season, some of these moments, ref, I was actually pulled in by the acting and the writing. Now, is it always perfect? No, but some of the stuff, I, I just gotta say, I've gotta tip my hat to them. The acting is excellent. And mm. some of the writing, the ideas was just really good. So while early on, it's not quite perfect, it's still interesting. And by yeah. the end, it's thoroughly satisfying. This is what I call good. Excellent. Good. Let's move on to Cinemax. Some season finales. Uh-oh, bye-bye, Jet. With the... Yeah. Double T at the end. <laughs> yeah, not like Jet Magazine, right? No, no. Joan Jet. <laughs> yes. So, look, okay. We talked about Jet. And um, here's the thing. I'm going to start with this. It can go too far in violence and sex. Too far. Where you're just like, why am I even seeing that? Like, I don't need to see a character's hand get sawed off. No, 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 no. This why? 24. <laughs> <laughs> like, why do I need that? And then it's not even a character I care that much about. Why am I seeing this? It's gratuitous. 
So that's my caution here. And I think when they get away from Jet, played by Carla Gugino, played beautifully by Carla, by the way. When they, The further they get away from Jet, the more this show loses its way. The show is called Jet, okay? That's the focus. And when it's on her as this great thief who really is just really good, really smart, plans everything out, doesn't like people coming in and ruining her plans, doesn't like to rush, it's interesting. And you have Carla. You also have the people attached to her. You have Charlie Boatlair, who is supposed to be her boss of sorts. The guy she works with from time to time, played by Giancarlo Esposito. Oh, yeah. wow. Whoa. And he has this stupid son of his that we needed to get rid of. Thank you. Goodbye to him. Uh, so, yeah. The <laughs> I hope he didn't die. <laughs> it's, yeah. They, they're chopped. They are chainsawing people's hands off. Oh, geez. People die. Okay. okay. And at the end, who is alive? Who's left standing? Hmm. It may not be, be who you think. Oh boy. So we have his character. And what happened is Jed is in between him and this guy that uh, Charlie's son has a history with. Hmm. Now, Jet went to this guy's place, went to seduce him so she could get into his safe and steal a ring that means something to Charlie. But while in the safe, they find some pictures of Charlie's son, some compromising ones. Uh What's going on? And this man is not stupid. He knows that Jeff was there and he says, excuse me, you now work for me. Oh, So she's caught between Charlie and this guy. How does that work? She has to try to hide things from both. And can she get out from under both of them? There's also this cop that, this detective that she has this relationship with from back in the day because she saved his life. A cop and she's a thief. Okay. Now, how did that happen? Right. Uh And there's a whole thing that goes on with him and his partner. Oh boy. And there's some, there's a big whole secret, oh my goodness, at the end that Jet just lets out to all of us and to him that changes the course of both of their lives and that will bleed into season two if they get it. Because at the end of season one, again, I said, who's left standing? Also, when it comes to Jet, who does she answer to? And I'll say this, she is out for revenge. She has a young daughter. Is her daughter safe? She also has, I don't even know who it is, like a, 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 just a, a companion in life that she lives with who helped raise the daughter while Jet was in prison. Mm. What situation is she in? There's also someone she met in prison who is a stripper prostitute. Okay. But she helps to get her out of that life get her out from under her brother who was kind of pimping her almost. Oh, gross. This is not Game of Thrones. Ugh. (laughs) So, we have all kinds of craziness going on. I I can't even get into all of it. And again, I'll say, when it's focused on Jet, it is entertaining. Carlo Gugino is just perfect in the role. Uh, Sebastian Gutierrez, who created this and wrote and directed every episode, wrote it for her. And you can tell, Giancarlo is great. I really do enjoy a lot of the cast. I just, again, have to say, if you're squeamish about anything like this stuff, sex and violence, do not watch it. But if you can wade through that and you enjoy watching kind of, uh, you know, just someone who's just great at stealing things and smart and silent and tough, and you do get a kind of Tarantino-esque take on things, kind of every now and then, 
then Jet is the show for you. I will continue to watch it. It's just that I wish that they would be more focused. I probably will not be watching it, so <laughs> go forth. Let's end the TV talk portion with a finale. Mm. Grownish has concluded its second season. They're already filming season three. Now these kids, these actors have to go to college. So, <laughs> you know, they're getting those things done. But we concluded the sophomore year for dear old Zoe. Remember, this is Black Off, Black Off, Blackish's spinoff. And they've got another one coming up, Mixed-ish, hmm. that's coming out. But for now, Zoe's concluded. Say that again, I like the way you gave us that D. Mixed-ish. Ooh. <laughs> and uh, Zoe's off to a place. We won't give that away quite yet. And she leaves a lot of things hanging in the air. I enjoyed the season finale. I'll let you go. I did too. I did I not enjoy the two episodes before it though. <laughs> I will just have to say that. Mm. I think those are my least favorite episodes of Grownish and why it's because it didn't feel grown-ish. We've talked about this with Blackish Ref where the the title is the key. Black ish and with grown ish we need the ish mm -hmm. okay but look what happened is look zoe what are we gonna do with zoe zoe we we need an intervention zoe has had all kinds of problems this season academic problems dad came in and said um thank you for my cards back thank you for my car back okay yeah. don't call your mama she don't care get a job get a job you're on your own good luck you want to cheat in college you're better than that and you're acting a fool you want to do your drugs you want to go out drinking and have fun with your friends you want to be boy crazy anyway wow it sounds no. like you. <laughs> a, I, I got a glimpse of maybe what your daughter would get if we're to act like that. Oh, I'm, we're to have one. <laughs> look, I'd be like, um, I'd be very calm as, as as a father. I'd be like, oh, you want to do that? Okay, I do exactly what what uh, Trey did. I'd be like, look, uh, uh, Dre did. I'd be like, look, um, give me my cards and my car, and um, good luck to you. I'll see you in the holidays. <laughs> <laughs> so that was great to see that play out and her relationship with Luca. Mm -hmm. mm, where does that go because Luca at the end of the season we find out that he it, it, his dream job is to work with Joey Badass okay so what goes on with that because Zoe's like the cheerleader she really wants uh, him to get this position and she essentially tries to force it to happen and we know that you know Luca's like look now that's not my speed he's back in the cut yeah, he's like, I, you, I'm not going to go there. What comes of that? That has implications leading not only to the season ender here, but to next season, as the ref was saying. Where are these people? Physically, emotionally, as well, in relationship-wise? Because remember, before Zoe was with Luca, she was with somebody else. Ish. <laughs> <laughs> they made it a point this season to say it was ish because we have concluded the um, fringe, friends with benefits uh, portion with one of uh, Zoe's friends. We'll just say that. Exactly. So we're talking about Aaron and one of Zoe's friends and then yeah. what happened with that. Yeah. Now, Aaron, the problem is 
who's he really in love with? We all know. And I'll say this uh, for the Zoe Luca storyline. It felt elongated to me. I knew where y'all were going. Yeah. I knew it. So it just felt a like it just dragged a bit to me. I think they could have cleaned that up a little more, but I understand they wanted to have a certain moment happen in the season ender. I get that. Uh, so these are minor knocks. Now for the other friends, we have dealt with one of them dating a professor. Oh, that's mm-hmm. a big, huge no-no. No me. And dating a female professor, nice little, you know, there we go with grown-ish. Okay. Now what happens at the end of the season because of that? We oh, also somebody gets a phone call. We'll just uh, say that. A phone call. Okay, I can't even <laughs> say it. Phone, like who's on the phone? Okay, now <laughs> the, the twins. Oh yeah. What's going on with them? Hmm? Remember, they're athletes. Something happens, and I won't even get into the relationship stuff. We talked about that. And uh, and so on and so forth. I, th- I think I'm done talking about all of this stuff. So we have even more going on. Overall for me, Raf, it was a successful season. A two-part season, by the way. That's hard to do, to go away and come back and still feel fresh and relevant. I think they did a good job of it overall. I'm still watching this. I will still see uh, season three. I wonder where they're going. I just hope as they move forward that they figure out a way to just tighten things up a bit. We don't need to elongate it all the time. And whenever they deal with something of import socially, remember your title. Because when you do, when it's grown-ish in regard to these things we're dealing with in uh, real society, it's magic. But when they go too far into, oh, we have to respect this topic. Well, if you're all about the respect and not about the show, I say don't even tackle it if you can't figure that uh, connection out. But what do you think, Ref? I think overall, um, not to elongate any of it, but I think overall, I think we are definitely hitting a wonderful groove here. I want to actually highlight not just the plot, but the acting that happened Mm -hmm. in the season finale. Mm -hmm. Very much, I've not seen um, Yara or Luca, his his real name is Luca as well, voted to the depths that they went to in the beginning, we won't give away, um, like the critic was saying, the episode before, there were strong implications that choices were being made as to um, one another's future. Someone advances and does the other person advance? And what happens when you have those worlds collide? I thought, I rewound it. I think I watched like two or three times. It, it was an argument trying to get to the bottom of the, of the real story here. And I was like, wow, the acting hasn't been better between the two of them. I was very much pleased and say congratulations. I think they finally hit that groove. Um, and I have a knock. I have mm. a knock, Gronish. I know they need to have characters come in from Blackish to help strengthen it. I think Junior is completely appropriate. Yeah. Makes sense. I would love more of him. I think he should join the show. I really, really think he belongs there. Agreed. However, anyone else, and I'm not going to just throw out names, <laughs> I don't mind parents coming in. That makes sense. I don't I mind. What are you talking about? <laughs> it's just when it's, it's really, it doesn't make any sense for the dean of that school to also have a full time, how, how does that li- literally work? 
how does it literally work? And so every time I see, and I'm not gonna say any names, other people from Blackish coming in, being a part of Grownish, I always question it. It doesn't make sense. I'm always thrown off by it because it's not as many, it's not as much. It's not mm-hmm. like um, it's not like uh, uh, um, um, this, what it's based on. Uh, um, Blackish. No, um, oh. Cosby Show and oh, a different world. A different world. It's not like these people are a part of the plot, and you know, you, the grown-ups are a part of it. It's just literally for kicks. Mm-hmm. And so we saw that at the at the end of we'll just say one of the episodes where you're just like, and, and I'll, I'll just, I'll give it away. It has to do with a jacket. We'll just say. Yes. <laughs> like, what are we doing? So that's, that's my only thing with grown I, I really think it's time for them to take it on it as their own. We don't need to have, you know, that they're, they, they, they've earned it. Oh yeah. So, awesome. I am going to now shift gears. Oh, this is the twofer. This is a long one. But I think we're not going to put out anything else. So, listeners, we have a sneak peek for you. Yeah. We're sneaking around. <laughs> we Blinded are... by the light. Yes. Now, Blinded by the Light is something that you got to see way back in, at Sundance earlier this year. And it is uh, the directed by... I, I, please, I, I'm not going to be able to say this name correctly. Do you want to give a shot? Sure. It's Gorinda Chada. Chada. Okay. Yeah. Gorinda- Bend it like Beckham, right? What? Bend it like Beckham. Oh, was he? Did he do that? She she did. Mm-hmm. It, sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's... Blinded by the Light is very... If it sounds familiar, it's because it's familiar. And we'll just say a certain rock star, Bruce Springsteen, has a lot to do with that. Now the cast, it's some of I don't I don't personally know this cast. I think you do. Mm-hmm. Uh, you you know the cast well, so I'm gonna let you. It's oh sorry, it's it's written by her as well, mm-hmm. and as well as some other folks who join in. Uh, do you have that on there? Yes. Paul so, Mayetta Burgess and again, I'm sorry, uh, Sarfra's Manzor. Mm-hmm. I apologize again. Haley Atwell is in it, but other than that, I don't know very many people. So I'm going to let the critic take it from here. Yeah, absolutely. And Haley, by the way, was Agent Carter. If you're going, who's Haley yes, Atwell? Yeah. Okay, so Blinded by the Light is inspired by journalist Safraz Manzur's life. So there you go. That's why he's one of the screenwriters. And it's set in Luton, England, which, by the way, is not the place to be. Now, how can I say that? Well, Javed Khan, or Jay for short, says so, and he's the narrator. Mm -hmm. Now, at the beginning of this film, it's 1980. And a nine-year-old Jay is writing in his diary while his friend Matt does other things. Then we shuttle forward to 1987. Jay and Matt are now 16 years old and Jay still writes in his diary. Or diary. (laughs) (laughs) Also, he's about to start I feel like your other languages are bleeding. I know. (laughs) Oh, no. Jay's also about to start his A-levels at school, which means 
that he's preparing to go to university. Yeah. His father wants him to do something practical, but Jay has other ambitions. He wants to be, what do you think? Well, you guessed it, a writer. Poet, a writer! Yeah. Now, this is a problem because as a Pakistani Muslim, Jay and his family, which also includes his mom and two sisters, have to face violent racism combined with the terrible economic climate in the country and the world. Yeah. Despite that, though, Jay's focused on something he happens upon early in the film. The music of the boss. Hey, who's the boss? Oh, it's the music of... It's the music of Bruce Springsteen. Oh my gosh. Now, Jay discovered Springsteen via a fellow Pakistani classmate of his named Roops. And Jay just can't get enough of Springsteen's music. This is the first time that music has spoken to him in this way. However, his best friend Matt is not so pleased. After all, Jay's supposed to be writing songs for Matt's band and anything like Springsteen won't do. Springsteen is for older folks like Matt's father. <laughs> Also, Matt's not pleased that Jay's prepping for university and focusing on writing poems and articles under the tutelage of Miss Clay, who's played by Haley Atwell. Yeah, it makes sense. Now, Miss Clay thinks that Jay has a real talent for writing, so she opens the doors to a possible writing career for him. But this leads to a clash not only with Matt, but also with Jay's father. And in the end, Jay decides that he needs to leave his father's house to pursue his passion. He also decides to pursue his fellow student, Eliza, who becomes his first girlfriend. And so in the end, the question is, what will Jay's future turn out to be and with whose blessing? All right, so here's what I have to say. Yes, yes, very familiar. And here's what I have to say about Blinded by the Light as a whole. It's a sweet movie that tackle some weighty issues. For example, the way that Jay and his family are treated in certain sections of this movie is atrocious. However, I'm not sure that this film has enough depth to handle that fully. It doesn't quite land the way it should. Also, I wish that it moved at a snappier pace. The actual acting beats were a hair too sluggish to build the proper amount of momentum and energy. And this was most notable when they transitioned into Springsteen's music. That music had a pulse, which the parts of this film without it didn't have. Now, keep in mind that this is a musical of sorts. Every now and then, Jay would start reciting Springsteen's lyrics to explain his thoughts and feelings. And then he and others would actually start singing the song over the real Springsteen track, including over Springsteen's voice. There was movement, too. So with all of that going on, a more unified presentation would have been better. Despite all of that, though, Blinded by the Light, as directed, yes, by Gorinda Chada, remember, bend it like Beckham, should work for fans of the boss's music and for people who can reminisce about the 80s, bad hair and all, you get that. (laughs) Even with its flaws, it's easy to root for Jay, and you'll find yourself smiling at the joy he has when he gets to do what he loves. Now, listen, this kind of sounds like yesterday um, Mm. as far as celebrating music Mm. uh, and getting people singing classic huge things. So I'm going to take a huge leap and I'm going to say if you loved yesterday, you went out to the movies and you saw it, Blinded by the Light may not be a bad companion to that. If you like Bruce Springsteen's music, 
maybe that's a good way, good, you know, good for you to get out. Absolutely. Critic, the question is, at home? <laughs> yeah, it, it's going to work well at home. Um, just so you know. So like you're saying, Ref, you nailed it. It's if you are a big fan of Springsteen's that yesterday thing, you want to go out to a theater, tap your feet with other people who like Springsteen. Cool, it's a sweet movie with some harsh uh, undertones. Uh, but certainly, you can get your popcorn as you say, ref, and whatever other kinds of uh, uh, wonderful things you like to eat at home. Lounge out, watch it, let it just wash over you, and enjoy the music. Excellent. It's open this Friday. Yes, you can go to the movies to see it this Friday as of taping. And again, um, if you want to venture out in 16, we suggest you do it. But it also works at home, too. Thanks for listening. For additional resources, visit whywatchthat.com. Good idea, and we'd love to hear from you. So go ahead and leave comments, feedback, and you can rate us on iTunes. We'll see you next week. See you.